Trinity Baptist Church. Hi everyone, my name is Daji Saintis. A few weeks ago on Labor Day Sunday, I found myself serving food to the homeless in Harlem. Going into it, I didn't know what to expect. When I first found out we'd be doing outreach in the community in place of our regular Sunday service, I was caught off guard. I don't do well with surprises. And I love the way we do services here. So I was thinking to myself, why can't we just worship like we always do? But I chose to be obedient, and a group of us went up to the Salvation Army on 125th Street. I walk by there every day on my way to work, but I'm usually in such a hurry to catch the bus, caught up thinking about all of the items I need to cross off my to-do list for the day that I'd never really paid attention to it, let alone been inside. Being there for the first time completely changed my perspective. As we helped the staff over the next few hours, I felt incredibly blessed to be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving those in need with dignity and respect. And it didn't take much work on our part. We set up chairs, washed fruit, put out utensils, distributed copies of the free booklets, and in the background, the upbeat music of live worship team filled the room. Then, as the guests came up one by one to be served, we greeted them with a warm smile and a generous portion of a home-cooked meal and a cold drink. They came back for seconds and even thirds. Time flew by, and before I knew it, the food was all out. Then we cleaned up the tables and put the chairs away. I had started the day wondering why we couldn't worship like we normally do. In the end, I couldn't imagine a better way to worship than glorifying God in service. Do you want to be free? Then I encourage you to think of ways that you can serve others, whether it's volunteering in or outside of Trinity, or doing something special for a friend, a family member, or a coworker. Paul writes to the Galatians, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Thank you. Now a reading from 1 Corinthians. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the human heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, my brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? The word of the Lord. We're in the third week of this series called Free. And we're talking about how we might really live in the freedom that Jesus came to give us. And as I've said in the previous weeks, freedom is not an absolute. 
where we just do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. That is an unworkable definition because we can't just do that. I can't eat whatever I want to eat whenever I want to eat it and still be healthy, right? I have to choose. I have to choose whether I'm going to eat what I want to eat and die or to restrict my diet and be healthy. I, am, I have the freedom to choose one of those two things, but I can't do them both. And so what we, what we determined is that freedom at the end of the day is really about choices. It's about um, making the choices that are more life-giving over the choices that are less life-giving. Making the joy, choices that are more soul-freeing over the ones that are less soul-freeing. So in this series, we're looking at a handful of, of choices that we can make to move into the more and better life that Jesus came to give us. Now last week, we looked at the choice between living counterfeit or living real. And the fact that sometimes a lot of us choose to live behind certain masks, but those masks enslave us. And we can choose to live there and live in bondage, or we can just be authentic. We can be real and live in the freedom that comes with that authenticity. And last week, I, <clears throat> I shared with you guys that, that I had a lot of blind spots and that I was, I've been wearing masks that I didn't even know I was wearing. And I started talking about some of those. And after the service last week, there were a number of people who came up to me and said, Keith, thanks for, thanks for putting yourself out there. And I just want to say that I, I'm exactly where you are. I mean, I hear exactly what you're saying, and, I, and I, it, that resonated with me. And I got a few emails this week that said essentially the same thing. And all these folks were saying, Keith, what you said, me too. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we just become a me too church? Because it is me too, right? I mean, so why don't we just all drop our masks and just say me too? So I thought, let's try that this morning. All right? We're going to try it. We're going to try it. So some of us would say, you know, I'm just so dang selfish. I, even when I don't want to be selfish, I have a really hard time not thinking about myself and just trying to impose my will on other people. Um, if that's you, with some conviction and honesty, turn to the person next to you and just say, me too. Me too. Me too. See, wasn't that freeing? Some of us would say, you know, even though I don't like to admit this, and the reason I don't like to admit it is because I'm proud, but I'm proud. You know, I can just be arrogant, and I can be, you know, just self-willed, and I can get stubborn at times. If that's you, just turn to the person next to you and say, me too. <laughs> me too. Some of us would say, you know, I have anger issues. You may not believe it to look at me right now, but I can be resentful. I can be bitter. I can say hurtful things. I can be passive aggressive. I can be a... 
Now, you're not supposed to say you too. Okay? This is about taking off our own masks. I can be a grudge-holding, judgment-passing, cranky, grumpy person. If that's you, turn to the person next to you and say, me too. Some of us would say, the truth about me is I have lust issues. I'm a cauldron of impulses and desires and out-of-control sexuality that just makes me creepy to be around. Turn to the person next to you and say, me too. I didn't hear a lot of me too's on that one. We could go down a list of stuff and just say, me too. Because we are, we've got all of this stuff inside of us that we need to confess and we need to get our masks off and we need to be real. But you know what? At the root of all of that me too crud is this thing called sin. And the thing that's at the root of this thing called sin is a thing called pride. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, which is brilliant, by the way, and if you've never read it, that should be the next book you read. C.S. Lewis argues quite convincingly that pride is the sin that leads to every other sin. He says it was through pride that the devil became the devil. He says it was, um, he says pride is the complete anti-God. And then he makes this point about pride. Lewis says, now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And that's what we are going to see in what we see going on in Corinth in the text that Dodgy read for us a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. If you want to turn there, it's on, on page 2198 in your pew Bible, or you can uh, follow along on the screens. Here's a little background. The Corinthian church was filled with division. It had originally been planted by the Apostle Paul, but as you heard in the, in the text that was read for us, there, there was reference to Cephas and to Apollos. Cephas is another name for Peter. And so, apparently, these two ministers had come after Paul. And so, people in the, in the congregation at Corinth had developed relationships with, with you know, one of, special relationships with, with one of the three of these guys. And instead of just being excited about the fact that they had relationship with Paul or they had relationship with Peter or they had relationship with Apollos, they started arguing with each other to say, hey, because I've got relationship with Paul, I should be the leader. And in fact, in in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, in verses 11 and 12, he talks about the, the, the fact, you know, one of you is saying 
that you're better because you have a relationship with me. Another one of you is saying that you should be in leadership because you had a relationship with Apollos. Somebody else is saying because you had a relationship with Peter that you should... You know, it, what's going on is, is they're using their relationships with these guys as a form of competition. They're trying to one-up the next person. And Paul says this, this competition is tearing your church apart. This competition is, is tearing your relationships apart. And so at the end of chapter 1, he says, if any of you is going to boast in anything, you need to boast in, in Jesus. Not in one of us. And as you read on and you get to chapter 3, Paul makes it clear that the root cause for for the divisions is pride and boasting. 3.21 starts off, no more boasting. Chapter 4.7 says, why do you boast? And in 4.6, he urges them not to take pride in one man over against another. You see, the Corinthian church and the relationships within this community of faith are being torn apart because of pride. Lewis says that pride has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices, he says, may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people and unchaste people, but pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity with God. He says pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And I would add that pride robs us of freedom. You see, pride is the reason that we can't get along. It's the reason there's no peace in the world. And the reason we cannot live at peace with one another and, in fact, at peace with ourselves. Unfortunately, pride is the natural condition of the human ego. We don't want others to be better than we are. In fact, while we wouldn't say this, what we show with our action is that we don't even want God to be better than we are. Most of us are familiar with the the story in the Bible where sin entered into the human condition, right? Genesis 3, where the, the man and the woman eat the forbidden fruit. We all know that story. Um, Nicole read it last week. But what some people don't really appreciate is why that fruit was so tempting. Remember, the tempter came to her came to the woman and said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be what? You'll be like God. You see, that's the sin that made the devil the devil. That's the sin that is the very beginning because it's the sin of pride that gives rise to every other sin. Where we say... Not only do I want to be better than everybody else, but I actually, I actually want to be better than God, or at least on par with Him. 
I want to be in control. This summer, I read a story about a, um, a six-year-old Sunday school class that was preparing a, um, a reenactment of creation. And there was a little kid in the class named Jonathan. And his job was to be at the top of the ladder with, with this flashlight in his hand and at just the right time to shine the flashlight down and say, let there be light, because he was going to represent God. And everybody else was doing the creeping things and the crawling things and the swimming things. And so the, the teacher's down there trying to get everybody situated, and she feels this tug on her skirt. And she turns around, and it's Jonathan. And Jonathan says, Mrs. Smith, you're just going to have to get somebody else. I'm, I'm just feeling too crazy to be God today. <laughs> I love that. And that's the beginning of freedom. I'm just too crazy to be God. You know, I got all this me too crud going on inside of me and I need, to, I need to stop pretending that I got it all together. I need to take off my mask and I need to stop pretending that I got it in control and that I'm God. I'm just too crazy to be God. You see, that's freedom. And that's the choice when we choose to come down off the ladder and say, I'm just too crazy to do that. That's the choice between humility and pride. And that's the choice of freedom. That's what Paul is urging the Corinthians toward in this text. To have no more pride in one person over another. The Greek word that Paul uses here is an interesting word. It's not the word hubris, which we often think of when we think of pride. But this is the word um, physio. Which, which literally means to be overinflated, to be swollen, to be distended beyond its proper size. Paul is saying that that's the, that's the condition of the human ego. Tim Keller has written a, a little book called, um, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in that book, he describes this, or he talks about this... Um, this swollen or distended ego. And he compares it to other body parts, uh, saying that if, if one body part is swollen or distended, it's painful, right? And, and pain draws attention to itself. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that um, you don't notice body parts until they're in pain? Right? I mean, you don't walk around going, man, my toes are working really well today. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't think, man, my knees are really feeling good. You might actually say that if you've had knee problems in the past because you know the difference between when it's working well and when it's not because you've felt the pain in that thing. The same thing is true with our ego. For many of us, it's hard to get through the day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling stupid or getting down on ourselves. That's because there's something wrong with my ego. There's something wrong with my, with my sense of self. People say that their feelings are hurt, but it's not their feelings that are hurt. It's their ego that's hurt. You see, their feelings are working just fine. But it's the ego that gets hurt. Here's the thing. 
if we find ourselves in a place where our our ego is often hurt or we find ourselves comparing ourselves with others, that's pride. When my sense of self, my desire for self-worth, my need to be sure that I'm somebody is not fulfilled, that's pride. When I'm constantly striving for the approval of others, why do I do that? Because I want to stay on top of the ladder. Because my ego is insatiable. And friends, that's the normal state of the human self. And that's what Paul's talking to the Corinthians about. All these people who are fighting over him and claiming special relationship with him are showing tremendous amounts of pride. They're unable to simply enjoy the fact that they know Paul or they know Apollos. Yeah, they're friends of mine. They are trying to use their relationship for one-upsmanship over each other. So Paul wants them to know the difference that the gospel has made in his life and how it's transformed things for him. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he reminds them that he is a minister and that he has a job to do. But then he says to them with regard to that role in verses 3 and 4, he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. You see, he's not looking for a stamp of approval from the Corinthians or anyone else. He doesn't care if they judge him to be better than Apollos or not, better than Cephas or not. He doesn't care, and this is not a defiant, I don't care what you think. This is a a simple recognition that at the end of the day, his identity is not tied to what other people think about him. Now, most counselors in our culture would agree with Paul. They would tell us that we shouldn't be living according to what other people think, that we shouldn't be living according to other people's standards, that we should, we should develop our own standards and our own sense of self, self-worth. We should decide what we're going to be and then be it. That should be, that's, that's how we need to live because it only matters what you think about yourself. That's what our modern, our, our cultural mindset is. But friends, Paul's approach couldn't be more different. See, not only does he not care if he's judged by the Corinthians or anyone else, he says in verse 3, I don't even judge myself. He says, I don't care what you think, but the truth is, I don't even care what I think. It's as if he's saying, um, I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me, but I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. And the fact that he has a clear conscience doesn't make a difference. He says in verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Friends, Hitler may have had a clear conscience, but that does not make him innocent. See, just because... You don't think what you're doing is wrong. It doesn't mean it's not. And Paul knows that. So what would Paul say to those who tell him to set his own standards? He would say, 
It's a trap, and I will not fall into it. He would say, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. That's not free. And I'm not going there. It's a trap. See, Paul doesn't look to the Corinthians for his identity, nor does he get his identity from himself. So where does he get it? Now think about this for a minute. I think it would be hard for, for anyone to disagree that Paul was probably one of the six or seven most influential men to ever have walked on the planet. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it would be hard to disagree with that statement just because of the impact he's had through the centuries. Paul was an incredibly confident, incredibly driven, uh, an incredibly accomplished and influential man. There was nothing that would face him. He just would keep walking it out. And yet, when he writes to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Not I was the worst. I am the worst. Now, we wouldn't expect somebody of such influence and such confidence to volunteer that they were among the worst people in the world. And yet, that's where Paul is. He's got no masks. He sees all sorts of moral flaws, and yet he still has confidence and he still has poise. Do you know why we can't do that? Because we're always judging ourselves. But Paul won't judge himself. And when he says that he doesn't let the Corinthians judge him, nor will he judge himself, he's saying that he knows about his sins, but he doesn't connect them to his identity. He knows about his accomplishments, but he doesn't congratulate himself and connect them to his identity. Those things are all true about him, but those things are not him. I wonder how many of us operate the same way. My guess is not many. When Paul says, I don't care what you think, I don't even care what I think, what he's talking about is humility. You say, wait a minute, Keith, how is that humility? Well, Paul is saying that he's reached a place where his his ego draws no more attention to itself than any other part of his, his body. He's reached the place where he's not thinking about himself anymore. When he does something wrong or he does something good, he doesn't connect it to his identity anymore. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, did I mention that it was a brilliant book and you need to read it? He makes this observation about humility at the end of his chapter on pride. He says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were nobody because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually self-obsessed. The thing we would, we would remember from meeting a truly humble person 
Lewis says, is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the truly humble person, Lewis says, will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You see, the essence of real humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Tim Keller says, true humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. And that is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. That is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. See, a truly humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego works just like his or her toes. It just works. Um, It doesn't draw attention to itself. The toe just works. The ego just works. It doesn't draw attention to itself. But here's how hard this is. Um, Even though a lot of the content of this message today has come from Lewis and has come from Keller, do you know what I kept thinking as I'm pulling all this stuff together? I'm thinking... Man, I'm doing a great job. And I hope they think I do a great job on Sunday. I hope they think I do a great job speaking on humility. (laughs) That's how hard it is. And that's how proud I am. How freeing. Would it be to be a person who doesn't need honor, but neither is afraid of it? How freeing would it be to be a person who doesn't lust for recognition, but nor when it comes, um, doesn't shy away from it? Wouldn't it be awesome to be so self-forgetful that you were just thrilled when something good happened and you didn't care if it was you or somebody else? You were just thrilled to see it happen. And the success of that thing, you are so excited for it. It doesn't matter if you succeeded or I succeeded. It's just a great thing, and I'm just glad that it happened. Wouldn't it be freeing if we could live in that place where we were so self-forgetful that when we walked past a mirror or we walked past a shop window, we didn't constantly notice, how am I looking today? Right? We did this last year. We all took selfies and we all looked at the picture. Who did we look at first? Right? Who do you look at, look for first in a picture? Yourself. Why? You want to see how you're looking. And if you look good, it's a good picture. (laughs) Regardless of how everybody else looks. Right? That's pride. And that's where we all live. 
So how do we get there? How do we get free? How did Paul get there? Very simply, he says, you don't judge me, I don't judge me. It's the Lord who judges me. In other words, it's only God's opinion of me that counts. Do you realize that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? Only in Christianity do you get the verdict before the performance. The the atheists might say that they get their self-image from being a good person. Um, They're a good person and they hope that eventually they'll get the verdict that confirms that they're a good person. The, for the Buddhist, performance leads to the verdict. For the Muslim, performance leads to the verdict. But the problem with that is, is that every day you're in the courtroom. Every day you're on trial. Every day you're trying to stay on top of the ladder. That's the problem. But Paul is saying that in Christianity, the verdict leads to the performance. In Christianity, the moment we believe, God says to us in Romans 8, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christianity, um, the moment we believe, God imputes Christ's perfect performance to us as if it were our own, and he adopts us as sons and daughters into his family. And in other words, God can say to us, just as he said once to Jesus, you are my son, you are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. You see, the the verdict is in. And now I perform on the basis of that verdict. Because he loves me and accepts me, guess what? I'm free. Because he loves me and accepts me, I'm free. I don't have to perform to get his approval. And you know what? If the creator of the universe loves me so much that he would send his son to die on a cross for me that I might be in eternal relationship with him where there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and I am now his beloved son, guess what? I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I care what he thinks. And now I don't have to do things to impress you. I don't have to do things to impress me. I can do good just to do good. I can go to the Salvation Army not because I'm trying to, to, you know, fill out my doing good resume, but I can go to the Salvation Army just because I want to go to the Salvation Army and help people. And I don't care if you know about it or not. I don't care if you think that's a good thing or not. I'm just going because I want to go. And I want to help people. I'm free. You see, in Christianity, the verdict enables the performance. I just need to ask God to accept me and what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross. And then the only person, and then the only, uh, the only person whose opinion counts, he looks at me and he finds me more valuable than all the jewels on the earth. So why would I worry about you snubbing me now?
Why would I worry if you ignore me or, or, or disrespect me? I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I care what he thinks. Friends, if you want to be free, choose to come down off the ladder and admit that you're just too crazy to be God. If you want to be free, choose humility over pride and just say, me too. Me too. All that crud, yeah, me too. And I don't care what you think. Me too. Don't be like the Corinthians doing the one-upmanship thing, the competition thing, trying to live out of a place of self-importance. Just come down off the ladder, say me too, and say like Paul, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I only care about what the Lord thinks. And he has said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He has said, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Live out of that declaration and you'll be free. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm just going to say me too. Because whatever sin is represented in this room, I know that it's part and parcel of me too. And that that sin that breeds all other sins, that sin of pride is is so deeply ingrained in me it's going to be a tough one to to root out but I pray Lord that by your grace you will help me do that and I know Lord that the only way that I can do that is to look more and more um, focused on the cross And Lord, I pray that we would do that this morning. In these next moments, as we come to the table together, I pray that we would be able to focus on what you did to take away all that me too crud so that we could come down off the ladder so we wouldn't have to keep pretending so that we could take off the mask so that we could just live in the freedom of humility because you humbled yourself and you gave yourself that we might have this free and abundant life so Lord as we come I pray that you would um, that you would show us yourself more and more clearly and that you would show us um, the glory of being a son the glory of being a daughter uh, the, the glory of the fact that there is no condemnation for us because we are in you that we would live in that freedom. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.